Well, how's everybody doing today? Hey, this side of the room is doing good. How's this side of the room? All right, that's good, that's good. Well, hey, uh, welcome to Solid Rock Church. Really, really thankful that you are here today. Um, I pray that you had a a Merry Christmas. Uh, For those of you that don't know who I am, my name is Jeremy, and I have the honor and privilege to serve as one of the pastors here. And I'm excited to be able to open God's word with you today as we close out the year 2021. Can I get an amen for closing out 2021, right? Well, uh, today, if you are not aware, is Family Worship Sunday, and it is a deep conviction of ours here at Solid Rock to be able to raise up the next generation. And I cannot think of a better topic to talk to you about this morning than this as we wrap up this new year. And I believe that it is every single person in this room and every single person in this church responsibility to be able to raise up the next generation. You know, it's, it's often something that we want to relegate to maybe the younger people or, or something of that nature. But my hope is today after we leave here that you would just erase that thinking from your mind because that's not true. And that we would, we would see the role that every single one of us play in raising up the next generation. And with that being said, I want to invite you to take your Bible with me and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We will have it up on the screen for you, but I know I'm a a fan of hard copy here in front of me, and we're going to read through verses 1 through 9. And I know Ken just read through part of that, but I I do want to read through this entire passage, the first nine verses, because it's really going to, uh, to help us as we think about what does it look like to raise up the next generation. So, Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 1. And as you're turning there, I want to give you a little bit of context here, very short. What you see here is you have Moses who is talking to the Israelite people as they are about to head into the promised land. And what Moses is going to do here is he's going to challenge them as a nation and as households to love and follow and worship God. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Moses says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your sons and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, when you read this closely, it it doesn't take a lot to see how God was serious about raising up the next generation. 
But before we get into that, I want to take a moment to examine two of these verses in particular that are extremely significant to both the Jewish and the Christian faith today. They were verses four and five, and Moses had said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. And these verses are so vitally important that they are recited every morning and every evening in the Jewish culture. They are prayed by Jewish families as a means of expressing their devotion to God. They are actually such a big deal that they are given a very special name, and that word is Shema. Where does that come from? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here's what Shema means. It's actually found in the very first word of these verses. Shema is the Hebrew word that is translated to hear or to listen. Now, I want to pause for a second because when we think about hear or hearing or listening, it's easy to just think about that as something that a sound comes to our ear, we register it in our mind. But that is not the complete meaning of this word Shema here, fully understood Shema in the Hebrew means not only to listen to, but to pay attention to and to respond to. Do you see the difference? Here's why I pause there, because Moses is basically saying, listen, Israel, pay attention to this. The Lord is God. He's the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. So Israel, be careful that you're paying attention to what I'm talking to you about here and not only just listening, but actually responding by loving God with all of your being. Don't miss this, church. It's one thing to listen. It's another thing to shema. And maybe... Just maybe the most important challenge you and I need today is to simply shema vishema, to listen to, to pay attention to, to respond to the words that are found here in Deuteronomy chapter six. Now let's get to the point of what's really resonating with me today and what I wanna talk to you about. The call of Deuteronomy chapter six, verses one through nine is not only to personally live out the Shema, but it's to pass it on to the next generation. This becomes very clear in the immediate instructions following the Shema. Go ahead and go back to Deuteronomy chapter six and look at verse six. And these words that I command you, Moses says, Today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What Moses is saying here in verse six is it's a call to live out the Shema. He also says in the beginning of verse seven, you shall teach them diligently to your children. Or in other words, we need to pass them on to the next generation. And then Moses goes a little deeper in his instruction in the second half of verse seven all the way through verse nine. Talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. As we look at these verses closely, this call to Moses is all encompassing to the people of Israel to raise up the next generation to live out the Shema. 
And he's saying we should be doing this all day long when we sit, when we walk, when we lie down, when we get up. He's saying to do these things in all settings. He's also saying this needs to be the highest priority. That's what he's getting at in verse eight when he gives us this picture of having symbols on our hands and bound on our foreheads. And finally, he's saying that it needs to happen while they are still under our roof. Think about that. That's what he's getting at at verse nine when he highlights the houses and the gates. Now this one's a little bit more subtle, but there is a principle laced all throughout scripture for the importance of instilling faith in the formative years of our children when they are still under our care. One of the most blatant scripture passages that I think really speaks to this, you may have heard it before, is Proverbs chapter 22, verse six. Proverbs chapter 22, verse six says this. Train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Most of us probably have heard this. It may be even hanging up in your house somewhere. And you know, it's super easy to cling to this verse as a promise, but the reality though is that we should treat this verse as a command or as a call. Now let me ask you this question. How many weeks do you think there are between when a child is born and their graduation from high school? Anybody? What's that? Over a thousand, that's really close. Thank you, Ryder. <laughs> That's a really good point. Well, generally, there are 936 weeks. Now, I want you to imagine this for a moment. I want you to imagine 936 marbles in a jar. And we've got a slide up here to help you with that. And each one of these marbles represents one week from the moment that your child enters the world, the countdown starts, and with each passing week, a marble comes out of the jar. Now, for many of you, your, your child may not be a newborn, and that's okay, and, and since that may be the case, then what we're gonna do is we're just going to look in succession on the different high points of a child's career from whenever they are starting as a little baby all the way up to graduation. And so once kindergarten starts, we're gonna get pretty significant and specific in our timing. So I want you to take a look at the next slide. So from when they were born all the way up to when they start kindergarten, we went from 936 to 624. That's a pretty big jump. Then a big shift happens as we run into and get into those formative grade school years, and then we see a big transition once they get into the middle school age, so sixth grade. 364 marbles. 364 hormonally charged marbles. Now, think about this. At this point, we have already lost nearly two-thirds of our original marbles. If you have a sixth grader at home, you probably know all about losing your marbles. (laughs) 
Then when your kid walks through the doors of high school as a freshman, you're down to 208. And then for you seniors out there, I want you to consider the fact that once they get to that point, there's 52 marbles left. There's 52 weeks left to be able to make that spiritual investment in their life. Now, if you're a grandparent or a parent in the room and you're looking at me like, wow, Jeremy, thanks a lot for making me equally as depressed and freaked out and I didn't expect to receive that today, that's not my intention, I want you to know. And after this illustration, it would be easy for those of us in the room with kids to say, well, I don't, I don't wanna focus on how much time I have left. I wanna focus on the here and now. Well, this illustration here is not one that I came up with. It actually comes from an organization called Orange Leaders. And Orange Leaders is an organization that helps with the, establishing the partnership between the family and the church to raise up the next generation. And Reggie Joyner, who is the CEO of Orange, says this when it comes to keeping track of our marbles. And we've got a quote up here on the screen for you. I really want you to think about this. When you see how much time you have left, you tend to get more serious about the time you have now. Let that sink in for a minute. The idea is not to count down the number of weeks in dread, but instead this illustration is meant to remind us of the importance of paying attention to the time that we have left so we will be motivated to make the countdown count. Now, I wanna pause for a moment. I wanna make sure that we are all tracking. And I, I mean all for a reason. I'm sure for parents and grandparents, you have been on the same page here. But I recognize fully that there are empty nesters in the room. There are those who are not yet parents. There are singles. There are those of you who are actually part of this zero to 18 year old generation in the room. And so you may be thinking, wow, this is the total waste of my time. I came in here and all of Jeremy's talking about is to parents and grandparents, but that could not be further from the truth. Hear me say that. Here is where you come in and don't miss this. You, empty nester, no, not yet parent, young person, you are essential to this idea of investing in the next generation. This is the responsibility of the family and the church. And I believe the biblical model outlined here in Deuteronomy points to the home as the place where the primary discipleship making should be happening. And additionally, the church family is here to work in partnership with the home. It's meant to be a both and type situation. And when this partnership is fully functioning, it is a beautiful thing. In my first few years on staff here at Solid Rock, um, I, I saw a situation where there was a whole lot of the church working to make the spiritual investment, but not a lot of families making that spiritual investment. And that's not a knock on anybody in here. Many of the students that were in our ministry you know, five years ago when I started had parents that were just totally absent. And I can give you the names of several people whose primary spiritual investment came from the church, particularly from the small group leaders in our student ministry. And there was this one guy in particular who was a teacher at one of the local high schools. And what he would do is he would invite these students to come and be part of this church. And I was so thankful that he did because I, you know, I just started here. 
And he had already made that investment. It was super, super cool that the church was playing such a role. But a lot of the families weren't. And there always seemed to be something lacking. Listen, church, the ideal situation is for parents to be making the spiritual investment in their kids' lives, starting when they are newborn all the way up to that 936-week time period. Then, as a church, we are able to contribute to supplement the spiritual development of the next generation as well. You know, in in the world of children and and youth ministry, there's this idea of this five-to-one ratio. And what I mean by that, it's this idea that whether it be a weekly program or some event, retreat, whatever, that this five-to-one ratio is one adult for every five kids or students, right? The whole idea is that you have one adult to every five kids so that hopefully nothing gets burned down. But but think about this. What if this five-to-one ratio was flipped? What if we were to seek out and get five caring adults to invest in the spiritual journey of just one kid? Let me take that even a step further. What if moms and dads in this church were able to confidently identify five individuals who are intentionally investing in their child's journey every step of the journey? There's only one way that can happen. And listen, there are are some great mentors in our community, educators, coaches. I don't want to take away from the mark that they do make on students' lives. And several of them love Jesus, but they have limitations in their context to what they can do and say inside of a, a student's spiritual journey. The church, the church is the place where we can fully and unapologetically focus on our kids' and students' journeys with Jesus. So empty nester, single adult, married with no kids, upper class student, what if you were one of the five people present in the lives of SR kids and SR students? And this brings me to those of you in the room who do fit in that zero to 18 year old model. Raise your hand if that's you. Some of you adults need to put your hand down. That's not true. (laughs) If you are a person in the room who is newborn to age 18, I wanna talk to you for a minute. First of all, I want you to know you're amazing. We love you guys so much. I know for me in particular, I, I, I love, 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 love working with 6th through 12th graders. It is my, one of my biggest joys of life. And I think that Blake feels the very same way about the age group that he works with. And we're not fearful about your futures. We're hopeful for you. But if I can just say one thing to you, it's one simple challenge, it's this. Be willing to be invested in. Be willing to be invested in. The truth is that a willing heart is a game changer. And as I've walked through a lot of students, with a lot of students, in my time here at Solid Rock, I've noticed a trend. And the trend is this. The students who seek out and surround themselves with those who care about their journey with Jesus are the ones who excel in their faith when they get to the next phase of life. 
You know, sadly, I mentioned earlier, there was a lot of students in our ministry whose families were absent. And I've seen them go through a lot of struggles post high school. I've seen them not really know who they are in their relationship with Jesus post high school and it's heartbreaking. Kids and students in the room, you can seek after a lot of things this world has to offer. Popularity, academic or athletic success, selfish or sinful desires, but how about this? What if you sought to surround yourself with people who are going to help you learn to love God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your might like Deuteronomy tells us? Now, I know we've covered a, a lot of ground and I wanna make sure that you all walk out of here with some motivation to step up to the plate to invest the Shema into the next generation. And so what I wanna do as I close out this morning is I wanna give you four practical action steps. And remember, I'm talking to everybody. So you can think of this as the, the so what of today's message. And, and then as we think through these four things, I'm gonna give you some reflection questions just to consider for yourself. So here's the first action step. And really, this goes for every single one of us. Let's shema the shema. Or in other words, let's be a church that doesn't just hear the call from God to love him with all of our being and then do nothing about it, but let's be the church who listens, who pays attention to, and who responds to, the, to, to this call in every aspect of our life. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. Number two, and I'm mainly talking to parents Let's make the countdown count. We have less than a thousand weeks to make a spiritual investment into our children's lives from newborn to high school graduation. In the grand scheme, that's not a lot of time. So with each passing week, as often as you think about it, Take a moment to pray and ask God for the wisdom and courage to invest in the spiritual well-being of your child. Pray for them. Have gospel-centered conversations with them. Ensure they are plugged into kids' ministry and student ministry here at Solid Rock. They're awesome. Remember, parents, you are the primary Disciple maker in your child's life. I cannot stress enough how important that is. Number three, and I'm particularly talking to those who are non-parents and grandparents. Let's also invest in the next generation. I think I mentioned it earlier, you know, it's super easy once we find ourselves in capacities where we don't think about having kids, it's super easy to think, ah, you know, I, I, can think, I can serve elsewhere. I don't have to think about that age group. But let me tell you, that's not true. And, you know, call this my recruiting pitch, but I don't want you to hear me say that we're just trying to fill volunteer spots here at Solid Rock. That is 100% not what Solid Rock is about, but instead, I wanna invite you to the biblical call to raise up the next generation. Now, you could be doing that in an official volunteer role. We have all kinds of opportunity that vary at different levels, but you can also simply start getting intentional with the relationships of adolescents that you already have in your life. 
Ask yourself, who are the adolescents in my life that I am teaching to love God with everything? And if we're being honest, and our answer is, I don't know, let's do something about that. Also ask yourself this question, what volunteer capacity could I commit myself to this upcoming year to invest in the next generation? Just some examples here that might look like intentionally praying for adolescents. That may seem insignificant, not true. Second, maybe just ask an adolescent how they're doing. Because our adolescents are dealing with some garbage that we haven't even thought about dealing whenever we were their age. And just somebody saying, hey, how you doing? And don't let them give you that answer of, oh, I'm doing fine. How are you really doing? Maybe that looks like becoming a small group leader. Maybe that looks like teaching the Bible in some capacity here at Solid Rock. Maybe that looks like serving in a more behind-the-scenes role. We have a volunteer here at our church. He's an older gentleman, and he's told me, listen, man, I want to be able to serve the student ministry. I I don't want to be at the forefront. I I don't want to be the guy that's getting up and teaching anything like that, but I just want to serve in whatever way you need me to behind the scenes. I'm like, great. That's investing in our next generation. And listen, working with adolescents can be intimidating. There is no doubt about that. And the truth is, it's not always glamorous. I want to be real with you. But hear me say this. I can tell you right now, there are not many things in this world more rewarding and better than knowing you made an indelible mark on an adolescent's spiritual life. There's nothing more rewarding than that. And finally, and I'm mainly talking to families in the room, here's our fourth and final action step. Let's identify the five. Students, what if you sat down with your parents and came up with the names of five individuals who could intentionally invest in your spiritual journey? And here's a hint. Mom and dad should be two of them. And if you don't have that, Reach out to the leader of the ministry that you're involved in. I guarantee they would be willing to be one of those five people that are making that spiritual investment in your life. And my hope is that families already have some people doing this right now. But if not, here's my follow-up question. What if you actually approach these individuals? Because it's one thing to write down names and, oh, that, that, they would be a really good you know, role model or leader for my spiritual life. It's one thing to think about it, but it's another thing to actually approach them and ask them if they would be willing to invest in you. And that may seem weird. Hey, you want to be a spiritual leader in my life? (laughs) But I would venture to say that if somebody were asked of that, while it may be a little intimidating, again, I think it would be a super, super rewarding experience. Think about that Reggie Joyner quote from earlier. When you see how much time you have left, you tend to get serious about the time that you have now. Well, church, let's remember what Moses called us to do. May we be a church who will shema the shema, and that no matter what stage of life we find ourselves, we would be willing to invest in the next generation in some capacity. Because listen to me, 
these adolescents now are going to be the ones that are leading us someday. And what an opportunity to know that we help them to be Christ followers that changed the world. You and I could do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to worship you today. Thank you so much for this call in Deuteronomy 6 to love you with everything that we have, with our heart, with our soul, with our might. And Lord, Lord for the furthermore, thank you so much for this call to impress that lifestyle, to impress that living upon not just ourselves, but our children and our children's children. Lord, often I hear that the next generation is the future of the church, but the bottom line is they're the church now, just like the adults in the room. And so, Lord, would the adults in the room be willing to make that spiritual investment in the younger people, to help them be the church of the present, to walk with them through life when things are difficult, to teach them your word, to pray for them, to just check in on them, to help them love Jesus better. And Lord, it is my prayer that not a single person leaves this place today checking out from what was talked about today. It is my prayer that not a single person in this room leaves thinking, ah, that, does, that doesn't really matter to me, that doesn't work for me, Lord. But would we be willing to open our hearts and our minds to what you may have for somebody in this room? Hopefully all of us. Lord, you have called us to be the church, to get outside these walls, to show Jesus to the world around us. And it's my prayer that the adults in the room will be helping to do this for our students and so that as we do this faithfully and diligently, we will be disciples making disciples. Lord, we ask that you continue to work on our hearts to think through what that may look like as we head into 2022. And Lord, would we be careful to give you the honor and glory that you deserve in all of it. It's in your name I pray.